Welcome to Trial by Wine. We take a closer look at crimes that highlight how fascinating humans can be. Schmitty, Swanee and Clarky visit crimes and run them through their jury of three, debating both sides of the case to agree an appropriate, if totally fictitious, sentence. Please be advised, Trial by Wine may include explicit or disturbing content and will include drunken rambling. Listener discretion is advised. All right. How are we? Not too bad. How are you, Schmitty? Oh, I'm very good. Thanks for asking. Yeah. Clarky? Uh, yes. Well, well, I don't know that I have Ooh. anything exciting to tell anyone. Oh, actually, I do. You know, I don't know if you've seen, but I've got a mohawk going on. Oh, you haven't got that hair. Oh, I do a bit, yes. Yeah, no, no, it's not a bit. Like, it's massive. Now, oh, God. Oh, I couldn't see it with your headphones. Yeah, on, yeah. Now I can see it it's clearly. Serious, but um, I'm going to dye this bit blue for November. Okay. Ah. Yeah, so I'm going to look very ridiculous for the whole month of November, which is nice. I'm leaving the facial hair and doing something silly with my hair just because that's what I do, different things. Okay, okay. Well, yeah. if you go to do something silly with your hair, do you think you could perhaps go for this look instead and go orange instead of blue? <laughs> <laughs> He's a freaker. And for our listeners, I've put up beaker, the Muppets yeah. beaker because yeah, right. every time I see someone with that hairdo, I'm thinking, What's with the beaker look? Yeah. Mm. Did he make funny noise? I can't remember. What did Beaker do? Did he squeak him? Them... <laughs> oh, he did this sort of silent mouthing thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, that is exciting. Good on you, Clarky. And that's yeah, a very, you. very good cause, even if you will have a silly hairdo for a while that we can. Well, it'll mop. be a very good talking point so that we can talk about November all the way through the month. How nice. Yes. Is that? Good idea. Good plan, good plan. Swanee, anything interesting from you? I wish. No, 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 no. I was actually thinking about the fact that trial by wine is so tricky for someone who's three hours behind and in in mum mode. It's like, it's kind of like I'm the anti-trial by whiner. I do (laughs) apologise. I feel like I let the team down hugely on that, in that respect. No, you don't. No, you don't. Or I could really, or I could really be on brand and be, you know, driving around or not even able to drive around because I was such a, um, a wreck. Getting a DUI here and DUI. there. DUI. Yeah. Or yeah. maybe I could be on that, that show, what's it called? RBC. Interventions. They pulled pull me over. <laughs> oh, don't get me started on interventions. Okay. I had a break for a week. Did I get you started on it? I watched quite a few, yes, yes. Yeah, it's a slippery slope, isn't it? It is, Sad. it is. All right. Well, I don't have anything to report. I'm back at work next week. And that is exciting. Everything for me is tracking nicely, hip-wise, so all good. What are you drinking? Yeah, I am drinking, thanks for asking, a Heathcote Winery HQ Shiraz, which is delicious. Mm, Very nice. We're having a um, 2018 Black Ink, which is a red red from Indigo Valley, uh, sorry, Indigo Winery, Indigo Vineyard, and it's it's Shirazy, perhaps a little bit deriffy. It's Mm. quite nice. Mm, I like a derif. Yeah, it's a bit of a heavy one, but not as heavy. I don't know what that riff. is. Petite Sera in other places. It's like a thanks fuller, for, thanks sweeter. Thanks for explaining one word with fatter, one another one that I don't know. Shiraz. <laughs> I just explained it, but you talked over the top. I was saying a, a, a derif is like a fuller, sweeter, fatter Shiraz, in my opinion. It's lovely. It's a very nice, mm, great. We do love it. Yep. Isn't it amazing that I have no experience? in anything to do with wine. Like, I, especially and yet you're wine. on a podcast with Gus wine Coulter. in the title. But, I mean, <laughs> honestly, the red wine thing, I mean, I could probably get by in, in some chat on white from my memory, but because I've never drunk red as well, all the nuances that you talk about, I'm thinking, I have no idea. Never well, you just need to pay more attention to what we say and then fake it when someone asks you. 
you know, we, oh, we, no, we tell you about I can't this. even remember that word. What was the word for petite Sarah? What was it? Deriff. Deriff. Would I be hoping for a deriff? Would I be longing, uh, looking for for a wine, longing for a deriff? Okay. Especially in the war, in the cooler months, I think. Yes. Yes. Oh, right. Open fire. And you, Swanee, what are you drinking? <laughs> tap water. Shock me. Mm, oh, delicious. Oh, tap water. <laughs> There you go. I did shock you. you did. vintage. Well done. <laughs> uh, do you honestly want to know? It's October twenty twenty two. Quite possibly because I haven't even gone and got a bottle. It's from last week. Still sat in this room. So oh, nice, nice, beautiful, nice. I think it's vintage. That would be refreshing. <laughs> I'm avoiding it. I hope right. I don't get too parched. <laughs> Who are we? I'm Schmitty. I'm Swanee. And I'm Clarky. And together we are. Trial by wine. Trial by tap water. (laughs) And Swanee, what have you got for us today? I do have a story for us today and I was trying to work out why I like this story because there there are aspects of it that actually make you feel good is is kind of the upshot of it Um, and there are aspects of it that are absolutely terrifying. So hopefully I can sort of share that balance with you. The hard part, as often is the case, is in what manner do I want to share the story? Do I want to give it all the way up front or do I want to sort of take you through what happened? And that's the challenge. And I've decided that I'm going to have to give the game away and tell you <gasps> what happens up front because that, that way I can go into the each of the characters that are involved a little bit more. Otherwise, it's a little bit sort of chop and change. Or it'll be chop and, chop and change anyway. It's but, like one of those um, movies where you see the end and then they say two years earlier and then you've got to work out oh. how they got there oh I could I could have perhaps done that Tony hates anyway that. so what I'll do is I'll travel in films yeah well I don't <laughs> I was going to ask I was going to ask that of you but I shan't so first of all my sources people you know people magazine in the US but it's online so mm-hmm. people.com a and e which is a network I think in the US and a, a website which I find interesting in the fact that it's called The Cinemaholic. And oh, it's yeah. come up a few yeah. times that I've been looking at things, yeah. I also referenced, I don't know what you'd call it, it's on YouTube and it's called Unseen and that was actually really helpful. And then finally, of course, Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. Of course, nice. your favourite. Yep. Which, by the way, yep. I donated to on our behalf the other day because I oh, thought we, oh, we get you. a lot of joy out of Wiki so That's we should pay for we it. Do. Yeah. yeah, well yeah. done. So our story starts in the city of Roseville in Minnesota in the US and we are going to look at a family that has four people. There's Mary and her husband Irv and their children Steve and daughter Elizabeth who we can call Beth. Did uh, say Irv? Irv. Yeah, right. don't, he's like he's out of an American yes, stick of Irv. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Mary and Irv Storfer and their children, Steve and Beth Storfer. And this family have, well, they're living in um, Minnesota, but they're actually about to leave. So it's they've all packed up, they're in their house, and the reason is the next day they're moving to the Philippines. Oh. And the reason they're moving to the Philippines is they're actually returning there because they've been there before because the parents are Christian missionaries and Obviously, they've, they've, they've lived there for part of their life and they've been in Minis- back in Minnesota where, where they're from and they're about to, to leave the very next day. So this is, yeah, May 16th in 1980. And so Mary and her daughter Elizabeth, Beth, head off to grab a haircut so they look presentable before they head abroad the next day. Responsible. 
Well done. Yes. I wonder how long it took for them and did they need to have three people come and finish the job off? That is a very good question. <laughs> I think Schmidt is referring to an incident I've just had this <laughs> afternoon at the hairdressers where I had to kind of march up to the All front hands and say, on deck to finish the yeah, job. Yeah, well, this has gone on for too long. We need to get this one out of here. An hour and 45 minutes is too long for a blowy. Even I think that. Jesus. <laughs> I thought we were talking haircuts. <laughs> anyway back to the story so on this afternoon they've had their haircuts and as they head back to their car a man approaches them with a gun and tells them that they've got to get into their car and he's going to drive they need to drive him somewhere what yes so that's may 16th 1980 where I'd like to take you now is to Taiwan in nineteen fifty. You know, around the world in nineteen fifty. And a little nineteen fifty and a timey whiny machine. Oh yeah. my lord! Hang on, let in me let me get the whiteboard. I'm just going to start plotting it out because yeah. you might need this a little bit. I, I'm I'm hoping I'm doing the right thing. Tony might listen to this and go, "What <laughs> shit is she going on with now?" <laughs> yeah, I tell you, he hates time travel. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, I, 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 might have made, I may have made a grave mistake in taking us forward and backwards. Anyway, let's see how we go. Give it a go. Yeah. So in October 1950 in Taiwan, uh, a boy is born and I'm, I'm going to try and attempt to say his name once and after that I'm going to use the easiest part of his name as to reference him by, only so I don't offend people because like, I'm so concerned that my pronunciation is just woeful. Well, Chumbawala na- Gilawate is hard to say. Well, <laughs> Ming Sen Shui, I think is how you say the last part of the surname. And that's S-H-U-I? What you S-H-I-U-E? Shu, I reckon. So I might not say that again. I might just call him Ming. Okay. Which is probably very, very inappropriate. It's probably like calling someone, you know, who's about to do all these things. Brian, Doug, Pal, you know what I mean. Anyway, so Ming Sanshui was born in October 1950 in Taiwan. However, when he was eight years old, he and his family moved to Minnesota. Uh, He, his mother and father and two siblings. His father was a professor at the University of Minnesota. However, shortly after they arrived, three years later, he died. Ming was described as violent towards his younger siblings, oh. red flag, often beating them during adolescence and adulthood. Jesus. Now, to be fair, my kids sometimes beat on each other, so I'm not sure if that's the kind of thing that is, you know, having a little roughhousing here and there. It might have been a little bit more severe, hey, I'm I've thinking. Hey, I've got a question. Was the man, yeah. was the man with the gun 30 years old? Mm. He was 29 years old, so, yeah, there you go. You're so good at this. (laughs) I'm a natural. What a coincidence. Don't worry, when Tony's listening back, he'll be like, where did he get that from? (laughs) (laughs) In his teen years, Ming was reportedly engaged in criminal activity as a juvenile, such as starting fires in apartments for strangers and throwing rocks at vehicles. So nothing. Hell, he's nuts. Throwing rocks at yeah. vehicles. Everyone's done that. However, for his role <laughs> in the arsons, he was ordered to participate in psychotherapy at the age of 14. So people had seen him and I guess sometimes his behaviour was off, Let shall we say. He was. His mother has said that he often lied. And he was always persistent that he was right. Well, hang on. He be a bit uncon- if he, often, if like he often lied Sounds and like his pants were on fire, which, oh, which explains he's why he's setting apartments on fire. It was a complete accident. Quite possibly. That, that would stand up in court. It would. 
Um, there's a quote here that I feel very uncomfortable repeating because I just, I, and I actually think maybe it's an Asian thing. It would make sense. Referring to his mother again, she says, he's an uncontrollable child. He took no responsibility for his physical behaviour, thus causing her to be fearful. And she described him as someone having, and this is the quote, feelings like a dog. You what? know how much I love my Arthur, so I find that offensive to even have to say, but I, maybe it's an Asian saying or something that, that he, you know, didn't have human feelings he had feelings of dog where I think most people think that dogs have lovely feelings so mm-hmm. that, I don't know what a dog feels I know so they well. lick their balls a lot when they're male but Ooh, I don't know maybe. what they feel well, because they can exactly and who would, maybe who he would did that. stop them hey who would hold that against maybe them? he did that <laughs> only From if he 19- had some ribs oh. removed Carla I don't oh, think God, he could physically please. do it <laughs> Gross. Yeah, okay. from 1965 to 1966 Shu attended Alexander Ramsey High School in Roseville, where he came to have a crush on his ninth grade algebra teacher. He later confessed during proceedings that due to his infatuation, he began sexually fantasizing about his teacher. He later wrote stories about his fantasies with fictional characters from movies eventually, which included consensual sex. However, they also included rape and gang rape. In later years, after he realised he did not find complete satisfaction from his fantasies, he decided he'd best kidnap his teacher. Do we have any idea uh, who's that? Schroffer, whatever her name was. Teacher yeah, yeah. may have been. Oh, yeah. God. Yes. Oh, Mary Stoffer was Stauffer, his sorry. algebra teacher. So when he was about 15 or 16 years old. So it wasn't like she was his algebra teacher for a long time. It was for a period of time oh, where, you know, like you do with yeah. most teachers in high school. Yeah, but to yeah. have an obsession with someone for 15 years and then abduct them is yeah. revolting. Okay. So that's where we're headed. Excellent. So that's 1965 to 1966. I'm looking forward to that called, good bit of this story. Yeah, I know. Feel good bit. <laughs> yeah. Yes. After school, Ming's interest in Mary Stoffer doesn't abate. In fact, it becomes a full-blown obsession and very unhealthily he becomes a stalker. So there are a number of years where Mary Stauffer and her family have no idea, but Ming is trying to find her. In 1975, so what's this, 10 years after he was her student, he locates a house that he believes is um, Mary's house. He breaks into the house with a firearm intending to kidnap her. However, it wasn't her residence. She didn't live there. It was actually her in-laws. Wow. Oh, my. They own the house. And, of course, he's seen their surname as being the same. He gets yeah. into the house. He forces them to the ground. He ties them up and threatens to kill them if they report the crime. So what do you think they do? They don't report it. Correct. Mm. So that home invasion was never reported. And, in fact, I don't even know. There's no record to say that they did or didn't even share those details with the wider family. Wow. It's yeah. not referenced. No one had it on. No one had it on their radar. I think they just saw it as some random event with some, you know, crazy man coming in, and them so fearful that something could happen that they just got on with their life. So that is horrendous. So what we find out is during that period of time, those sort of ten years or whatever else, where he's trying to find her, she was actually already in the Philippines at least a first time with her family. Right. So they were already there as Christian Safe. missionaries. Yeah. However, they returned to Minnesota in 1979. Right. The year before these two ladies, well, sort of mother and daughter, are in the car park. It's a year later in early 1980 that Ming learns that Stauffer is living at Bethel University and that's because Irv is working at the university and he begins to stalk her. So, again, she has no idea 
but in documents that they find later, there were actually, he made four attempts. I don't know how no one realised it. It must have been pretty poor attempts to abduct her. To abduct her? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. To the point that yeah. she didn't even know. Well, no, she didn't they know. They were poor attempts. And I found one <laughs> that they reference and saying that um, it doesn't make a great deal of sense to me, but they, they use it from a, a court document to say at one point he had attempted to drill from an apartment underneath to drill underneath her bed. And I was like, yeah, but what was Did it? Did he watch a lot of like Roadrunner? And- exactly. It's like, but what was he going to do? Drill a hole or did drill a hole or I don't know. But And did no one notice that? <laughs> He's just cutting yeah, the hole, yeah. you know, the big round hole for it to drop down with a saw. And then look down and there's a saw coming. Yeah, What's yeah. going on there? Far out. Oh, God. Rather unbelievably, no one seems to have noticed that at the time or just how dangerous his obsession had got. Like, I mean, it wasn't. I mean, it's such a significant period of time, right? We're now like 15 years he's been obsessing. Mm. And, you know, he couldn't stalk, as I said, the entire time because she was in the Philippines. But certainly since she has returned, he's on the job. And so now I'm going to take you to the day of May 16th, which is where I sort of started off, which is the day that he abducts Mary and Elizabeth Stoffer. So they've gone to um, have their haircuts, as we said, you know, the day before um, they were heading back to the Philippines to continue their missionary work. He tracks them down to this beauty salon in Roseville. When Storfer leaves the salon, she and her daughter are kidnapped at gunpoint. He ties them up and he put, oh, sorry, first of all, he gets them into the car and he directs them to drive. And at the very first set of traffic lights, a police car comes up behind them. You know, there's nothing to be alarmed about. No one knows what's going mm-hmm. on. But he says to Mary at that time, if that car follows us when we turn left, because he's directing where to go, you're dead. And as it turns out, they go left, the, um, the police car drives on. And it was one of those moments where potentially something could have happened, but there was nothing to suggest that there was anything going on in the car. And remember, he's got them at gunpoint, yeah. so they can't react. He's waiting for them to, and they don't know who he is. They've got you know no idea what's going on. They're totally horrified. At the start of this ordeal, he's got them in the car right at gunpoint and he demands that she drive the car to a remote location and park. This is where he bounds Mary and Elizabeth's hands and he shoves them in the car's, we would say boot, I think in the US they would say yeah. trunk. So he's got, them out of, he's got them out of town and he's got them in the boot at this point. But they make so much noise that they're sort of Good banging girls. whatever else and trying to escape that he pulls up a second time and... <laughs> I have read somewhere that the reason he'd taken them from the front of the car to the back, although I suspect he would have had to do that at some point anyway, was because they were praying so loudly, which I'm sure was absolutely the case. They were praying so so loudly. In the car, yeah. So he's put them in the boot. He's covered them up with duct tape. He continues driving. And now they're making so much noise trying to escape and draw attention, he stops a second time. And it's when he stops a second time, he sees that Mary has been successful in partially freeing her daughter So now he's not well pleased and he gets angry and now he actually starts to threaten them. I don't think there's been a lot of dialogue, a lot of threat. I think it's mainly the gun that's been doing the talking up until this point. But now he's agitated and he starts threatening them. It's at this point two young boys who are nearby notice that something's going on. There's a bit of a kerfuffle. And one of the boys, a little six-year-old called Jason, walks over to the the trunk and the boot (laughs) and he sees... Mary and Beth, and all he has time to say is, whoa, and Mary hears that, and then he is grabbed by Ming, oh God. and he is thrown into the trunk. The boot is closed, 
and then he drives Bunny away. Bunny and all in. So there's now three of them in the <laughs> But what happened to the other there's little Mary. kid then? How big is this boot? He's been left. So he saw it? The other little boy was left. Yeah. Yes. The other little boy... The other little boy's been left at the park or, you know, the, wherever they'd pulled over. Did he and get the number plate? No, he didn't. That's because Jason was only six, so I don't know how the little boy, yeah. he would have been little. Yeah, that it would have been amazing yeah. if he did. I thought maybe that was the feel-good bit. but No, that's not the feel-good okay. bit. This is really not the feel this is the This is the only bit that's not the feel-good bit, actually. Oh, actually, that's a total, that's absolutely wrong. Scrap that. There's a lot more <laughs> than not feel-good bit to come, but there's a particularly bad bit coming. So... I feel like I've been misled. Car. <laughs> you know, we've got to do the highs and the lows. We've got to go through the lows to get to the highs. Yeah, <laughs> I have resold it, haven't I? I do apologise. Yeah. So the three of them are in the boot and it's at this point that the little boy is whimpering and Mary, as the mother who, you know, her young daughter's there, she is trying to calm them down, especially the little boy, and she's actually saying, you know, my name's... You know, Mary, and you're here with my daughter Beth, and I. This woman just sounds so lovely, and she's trying to um, to put him at ease. And they're they're banging. Oh, I, sorry, it's really distressing. And they're banging around a bit in the car and trying to to work out what to do, try and set themselves free. Anyway, I don't think that Ming had obviously thought of including someone, a third person, in his plan. So he pulls over in a deserted area and he takes little Jason out and he beats him with a rod and leaves him dead. Because I didn't see that coming. So that's all done quite I thought you were going to say he let him go. No, no. So back in Roseville, you know, the afternoon is progressing and Irv is starting to become concerned that he hasn't heard or seen Mary and Beth. It's not like he can give them a call back in the day. They just haven't returned. So the, yeah. the afternoon goes on and on and on. And over a period of time into the evening, he finally starts to get worried. And when he calls the police to say, look, my wife and daughter are missing, it's at that point he hears that they're actually looking for a young boy called Jason Wilkman, who's also been reported missing. So people don't know if there's a connection, but interestingly that there's missing people from the same, not area, but same town. So, you know, there are some people are starting to think, you know, is there, is, this, there, is there a connection? They can't see that there would be. And I guess it's only through that little boy because the little boy didn't see what was in the mm. boot, the other boy that survived, right? Yeah. So there's no true connection made at that point. But we now have three people that are missing as of the night of May the 16th, 1980. It's at this point that that um, Ming takes Beth and uh, her mother, Mary, to his house. Once he arrives there, he locks Mary and Beth in a closet that is just 21 inches wide and four feet long, and he leaves them there. So he just puts them in there and they are left. And it's actually not until the next day that he allows um, Mary out and he ties her up in the living room. I'm trying to get my head around the dimensions. 21 inches, inches wide. deep or wide? No, deep. It's four, uh, four inches long. Four inches, sorry. Four feet. I probably should have done the conversion into centimetres. No, but that's, I'm just wondering, that? is it four feet wide? Because I don't know. And 21 inches. 21 meters. It, it says 21 inches wide. So let's have a look. So 21, 21. 50 centimeters ish. So it's a ruler and a half. Uh, wide yeah, and yeah, 1.2 yeah. meters tall. About that. It looks like, and I, I don't know, but you know, like a With narrow a little uh, half closet. closet. Maybe it was closet, under, yeah. I don't know if it was under stairs. I don't think that it was. But you know, like sometimes when you see something that looks, it's kind of, it's, it's an afterthought. It just happens to fit into an area. It doesn't look like, like a little cubby. Yes, like a little cubby. Yeah. 
yes, I, I think like a broom cupboard, something that's sort of not much more to it than that. So the next day, Ming takes Mary out and ties her up in the living room. And it's at this point that he reveals who he is because she has no idea. And she reveals that she was his math teacher, to which she says, I assume I didn't give you a very good grade. <laughs> so she didn't lose a sense of humour at that point. And he says, well, you know, I've been looking for you for a very long time. You only gave me a B. <gasps> Are you kidding? And That's as a result better? of you only giving me a B, I did not get the scholarship that I wanted to go into university. I couldn't go to university and I had to go to Vietnam. Really? It turns out. And that's out, why he became infatuated that, with her? No. It turns out that all is a yeah, lie. There you go. But that's what he told her. You have ruined my life as a result of my B grade. I didn't get into, you know, I didn't get a scholarship, didn't get to uni. And I was drafted to go to Vietnam. All of this obsession, needing, it wasn't sexual? It was all. No, it was sexual. The other bit was more like. Oh, it was totally sexual. Oh, oh. right. Because yeah. I thought it was just yeah. anger about having to go to Vietnam and her giving him a bed. No, that was his no. Where I was going. I missed, yeah. sorry. Once he reveals himself to Mary, oh, it's not. Oh. It's Please. not. No, not like that. Sorry. Boom, boom. No. <laughs> when he told Mary who he was, 36-year-old Mary had no recollection at all. Because remember, for her, again, it's another 10 years. Is that right? That's not right. It'd be like 14 yeah, years right. or yeah. something. It's 15. Yeah. No, because of her age, she was 36. So she's 36 at the time. So she has no recollection. And then he tells her, of course, well, I was a student. But she, she's like, oh, maybe I can remember. But there's nothing alarming about Yeah, I mean, I that would be him. like the beginning of her career. She was pretty young yeah. when she was teaching him, yeah. And then she said, you know, like when push, she was like, yeah, actually I do remember. He was very bright, very capable, just a typical ninth grade boy. But then, you know, he then he plays on this, you gave me a B. But he was um, only bright yeah. enough to get a B. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't apply himself. He was too busy beating on his brothers and sisters. Correct. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. But it's interesting. He also went on to say, I think I said that he said that he was been sent to Vietnam and I've, I've read mm. a couple of times that he also told her that he was a prisoner of war. So he was really. Are they true just, facts? Uh, no. no, none of it's true. He didn't at all. go to Vietnam. I didn't no, think he didn't so. Go to Vietnam. No, she's missed that right. out of the story. Right. No, sorry. sorry. Okay. No, he didn't go to Vietnam. He did go to university, but you know, he, he was oh just lying to her to try and get, I don't know, a degree of empathy, I guess, as to or a reason. The reason I had to, you know, kidnap you. The reason this has had to happen is because it's your fault. What you did to me. When actual fact, it had nothing to do with that at all. So once there've been the sort of revelation of who they are. He then, I guess, gets down to the business of why he had actually kidnapped her in the first place. And it's it's just horrendous. He starts to rape her and film raping her. Mm-hmm. He recorded the conversations that he had with her. He recorded the rapes. I have read, and I think it's an absolute blessing, that the daughter didn't understand what was going on. She oh, didn't have so. that level of understanding yeah. and she wasn't necessarily exposed to it so when he was taking Mary out of the cupboard and taking her somewhere else to rape her, the daughter didn't have the knowledge to know what could be going on. And she said that, that that obviously helped her a lot. She didn't understand what he was doing to her mother. Whereas I think if you knew that, that would take it to an entirely different level of suffering for the poor child. And maybe even for the mum, I don't know if she knew. I think she probably, from what I can gather from this woman, I think she would have been very successful in trying to shelter her daughter from whatever she could when she was being put back in mm. the um, thing. I don't think she was going going into detail about what was going on out there. I think 
she was sheltering from her from that, that, that harsh reality. While he kept her in the house, he often kept them separated. He would place Elizabeth, the daughter, in a box in his van for eight hours while he was at work. What? And this is so correct. Isn't that the thing where you're reading along? And that's not supposed to be an interesting point in the story, but it's that thing where I read it and I go, how do people have the time? How do they have organised? I can't handle three kids, pick up, drop offs, meals, podcasting, all that stuff. This man can hold down a full time job and have two people kidnapped that he's got at home. I, people, it's it just time you got yourself a box and put some kids in it. I'm and then it's sorted out. We even get you three boxes if you like. <laughs> oh God! Can you believe it? I just, I, I it, it's that thing of like when people are able to maintain their yeah. normal life. That's why people aren't going. You know what? Ming's missing. Yeah. What's he up to? No, no Ming's going fine. to work. He's actually Correct. quite chipper at the moment. He's happier than he's been in a while. Interesting. Interesting. To sort of not have to sort of spend too much time on this. Well, actually, it is actually the crime, so I do need to spend some time on it. But basically there's a situation that goes on and it goes mm. on for a long time. Mm. So remember they were kidnapped on the, or abducted on the 16th of May 1980 and then the rape continues. Ming continues to go to work. At one point he actually takes them in his car. Well, actually, whilst he's taking the daughter to work with him, he has a Winnebago that he takes to a work conference in Chicago. What? Oh, my Lord. Correct. And he takes them both with him and he holds them hostage by using the gun and using threats. So throughout the whole thing, he he keeps telling them, should they try to escape, he will murder Irv and the son Steve. So they're also under that sort of, you know, as we hear time and time again with all these crimes, so much of it is about the psychological control, not just what they're doing. So they've been warned and it's been promised that threat is there, that you move, you leave, you attempt to leave. I will not only murder you, but I'm going to murder your family, your, the rest of your family. But Why would you not believe it, though? Like yeah, you've been successful up to this point. Absolutely, and he's brutalising you constantly, you know. And they know that they've got rid of they, they don't know what's happened to Jason, but they know that he was oh, with them and then he wasn't. So, you know, they, they absolutely believe what he's saying. So he didn't, he only let them out of that house that one time and he took them, it was a job fair. I think I said it was a work conference. A job fair in Chicago in a rented Winnebago. And I've seen a scene whereby he takes Mary with him at gunpoint, or not gunpoint, but, you know, with him but under duress kind of thing. So she's been told, be under no illusion what will happen, what will happen if you do the wrong thing. So she's very compliant. But the daughter, she actually pulls back, like he's got all the stuff, the windows in the way Winnebago all covered up. Yeah, all hooked down, everything's covered. And she actually somehow makes noise and she gets the attention of some teenagers and she tells them that she's been abducted and who she is. And they laugh at her and tell her, don't be such a silly little girl. (gasps) And you know what? I think that would have possibly been the case in those days. Maybe now, I think with the way the world is more aware of what's going on, if someone said that to you and was really under truly, you know, manic, you would probably pay attention to it. But I don't know, maybe in Chicago in the, you know, 1980, you have some little girl going, hey, hey, I've been abducted. Maybe. I don't know. It's. But there's a point there where things could have changed. But you're also teenagers. 
that she was teenagers are key I think yeah Yeah. I think the teenagers and I think they were teenage boys I think that is the key where they've just gone don't be so silly little girl or whatever else so she had an attempt but at at least Ming wasn't aware of it so um that did happen then in so again so a month later on June 15th there is a phone call and this phone call is it's incredible basically it's Father's Day and Ming allows Beth to call her father Oh, my. Yeah. And the FBI have, perhaps you can help me play it because it's really quite moving. Hello, Irv speaking. Hello, Dad. Yes, Bethy. Are you okay? Yeah. Is Mommy okay? Yes. That's good. Oh, I'm, yes. Happy Father's Day. Oh, thank you so much, sweetie. We can't talk anymore. Um, when can you come home? I don't know. Can I talk? Can I talk to him? No. Yeah. Can you hear the dad's voice trembling? Yeah. Could voice, you yeah. imagine having someone you love missing for a month and then making that call to you and you having to know they're recording it, you've got to stay cool it's your you know it's a child or your daughter in that instance so you've got to keep it's also it together the first confirmation that they're both still alive correct you know you'd be like mm. relieved but also yes. now i want to know where they are and get them yeah. back yeah but it is i mean the fact that they're still alive at that point is remarkable get, well, yeah yeah and unusual yeah yes Ooh. so that's very disturbing it is i've watched it lots and lots of times and you know you can hear the innocence of the little girl in her voice like it's just a you know yeah, and the yeah. way you can hear his the affection that he's got for his daughter, the way he calls her Bethy and Sweetie, and it's and he doesn't just, want to overwhelm her either. No, yeah. mm. and you can tell he's been told not to say much. It feels very not scripted, but you know he's been prepared for mm. what he must do in that instance if they get to be like that. So well mm. done, Ming, for allowing that phone call to happen. I must say. So really. Yeah, I mean, mm. we're not giving him anything. Yeah. I'm sorry, yeah, I'm glass enough. rotting right I now. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't yeah, see yeah, that. Yeah, I'm already thinking about glass <laughs> rods uh, and flaying when we get to see Yes, of course. But oh, yeah. that's firm. Basically, there comes a day, 53 days into the kidnapping of Mary and Beth, where there is a day that they have an opportunity to escape, and that day is July 7th of 1980, and it's one of those situations where we often come across with these kidnapping situations where they get to a point where they think, you know, look, where does this keep? Well, the mum certainly thinks, so. this is not good. You know, she's been continually raped. It's, he's becoming more aggressive. It's, it's not going well and mm. not going well. What a stupid understatement. I apologise for that. But, you know, I think she's, she's fearful that it's she likely can see to escalate. Yeah. yeah. And at some point it's not going to end well, put it that way. Correct. And what they've done and, you know, religion often comes into a lot of the stories that we cover for for good and bad. And I think this one does give me a little bit of comfort, actually. And because they were religious and mm. they, you know, they had their Christian belief, what the mum would do is she would tell Beth Bible stories while they were stuck, you know, in, the in, the, stuck in the box. Yeah. yeah. Mary said, you know, she had huge doubts that, you know, they were going to make it out alive. She wasn't convinced that they would, but she thought, you know, look, I, I can only do what I can do. And she was just trying to keep Beth as calm as she could be. And I think sometimes we've all probably been in those situations where something happens to somebody else, whether it's your partner, your parents, your children, 
where things are going terribly wrong for somebody else and it's only and it, it gives you a sense of calmness sometimes where you go shit I'm the one who's got to be in control yeah you've got to focus the mom, on the you've trauma got to, for you've someone got to else, else. Yeah. yeah and I suspect that is why this mother she's just I just find it so impressive to be going through that the rapes and the torture that he he has you know would you say researching this story has impacted you a bit, Carla? Because I've got to say, we've been podcasting for a year now and I've never heard you say, I love you, to your sons as much as you have today. Just desperate. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm just desperate for them to leave the room and get on with what they're doing so I can get this done. <laughs> so Mary said, look, I told um, Beth the Bible story is to try and preserve her optimism. And one of the ones that she said, like, and I don't know this story, but I'm sure you will, Schmidt, and I'm not sure that you will, Clarkie, but she was like, like the one about Apostle Peter who was in prison and was set to be killed the next day, only to be saved when God sent an angel. And one of the things that I've seen Beth and Mary talk about, Beth had said, do you think an angel will let us out of the closet and let us go home? And Mary said that, you know, that really was very difficult for her to deal with because she said, look, honestly, I didn't have any idea what was going to happen to us. I just thought I could only try and help this child process what's happening by giving her a sense of hope. But she said, you know, that never during any of the kidnapping and the, the rapes did Beth have an understanding of what would happen. Mary insulated her from that and her yep. own lack of understanding, which I think is just an absolute blessing. There was one time, however, that Mary wasn't being physically affectionate with him whilst he raped her. So he took Beth out of the closet. He put a plastic bag over her head and under her feet for several minutes, telling Mary she would suffocate after several minutes. He only took it off after Mary kissed him on the mouth. Oh, he's repulsive. He is. Well, Beth didn't fully grasp the horror. The mum certainly did. And she just leaned into her faith and hope that things would somehow work out, would would work out. She said, you know, at the time our job was not to understand what was happening. It was just to trust the Lord was going to work out in his way in his own time. Well, he decided on day 53 that (laughs) it was time. I've been busy. Mary says that she was not mechanically inclined, but she did notice something about the way he had had them chained up together and it was connected to a hinge on the door. Anyway, she said, oh, I thought I'd... I'd just give it a go. She said she went to remove the hinge thinking it would be a very difficult thing to do. And she said nobody was more surprised than I was when that hinge pin came out as if it were greased. And I'm sure they would think that probably God had a hand in that, but ultimately I don't think it matters. It was the crucial thing that allowed them to get the door off the frame and allowed them to get out. It was at that point that I think the daughter was sort of freaking out. You know, we can't do this. He'll kill us. And it's that thing you can imagine where they don't really know if he's going to come back. He's he's warned them so many times. He's given them the impression that he's always watching them. And that would absolutely be the case now, right, with technology. In those days, I don't quite know how that would transpire. But she was certainly he was certainly filming them. I don't quite know how he'd given them that impression. So it was just they thought that everything that they did, he was aware of, so they were terrified that yeah. they'd move. Correct. Yeah. Mary is able to get to the phone in the house and she's able to call law enforcement. Mary calls police and she identifies herself. I think that's probably the most important thing. So I don't think she knows where she is, but she, know who, she knows who she's with and she's at this house and that he's at work. After making the call, they leave the house and then there's, there's I've seen a couple of 
stories, you know, recordings where they talk about this sort of conflict they had where the police told them to stay inside. They were also terrified of him returning. It's one of those things that could have made all the difference. Did they go outside? Did they stay inside? You know, did they do? And they actually did what no one had told them to do, but they left the house and they went around the backyard and they hid behind a car. And that's where they were found. Unmarked police cars came and surround the whole house and someone, one of the policemen had walked around the back of the house thinking that it was actually Ming who was crouching down. Of course, to his surprise, he found Mary and Elizabeth Stafer. That's amazing. They arrested him at his place of work and his place of work was a successful electronics shop that he owned. He had gone to university in the University of Minnesota, I believe. And he had a successful business that he was running. He just had a massive, weird obsession with her. Yeah, absolutely. So he was arrested at the place of business the same day and he was taken to the adult detention centre. Things get interesting after this as well. That's not the end of it. The trial is interesting (laughs) in itself. You'd think it'd be pretty straightforward. 53 days after they were abducted we are left with a mother and daughter who were kidnapped a mother who was repeatedly raped you know filmed brutalized brutalized, correct a child who was utterly traumatized and tragically a dead young jason Jason. who was murdered and no one knew right at this point where jason was or what had happened to him that had not been solved and they did not have his body and it was only when they start talking to them and of course this the poor mother and daughter as well this they've got this added level of yes he was in the boot with the trunk with us for a period of time he was terrified and whimpering and I just think you know of all the things that have happened to them that must for the mum as well who survived everything that must be really one of those moments where she knew or sorry once she was told what had happened to the boy that it was just beaten with a um a pole when they worked when he admitted to what he'd done you know another moment where you just go oh my god here but for the grace of god you know you know these things happen in these stories where you just can't quite get your head around from one minute to the next what triggers these people and when they behave certain ways and the fact that they do survive certain things and then you know that's what that that was the amazing part of this story if anyone was wondering because we hadn't got to it was the fact that they were reunited with their family he was yep. clearly capable of murder. Mm-hmm. Oh, it just absolutely. hadn't happened to her daughter or her in that time. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Clarky, that was the happy reveal, by the way. Yeah, it didn't sound very happy in the end, <laughs> did it? I'm not sure there was a happy She's a trickster. Oh, Sorry. She's a real no, Loki, that's what I'm not. I, I think I just did a bad job of the story, perhaps, by saying that. Can you tell me the happy reveal just, again? The fact that they, that they escaped. In a, in a happy way. It was wonderful. That, Sorry, oh. God. I mean, I mean, I'm glad they escaped. But I mean, it's after 53 days, I think what is the uplifting bit is, and it's I probably haven't got to that yet. Probably the uplifting bit is this bit that we're going it's to. Is how they survive and how they survive yeah. and how they've got okay. on with their lives. Yeah, they are just they refuse to be victims. Some people just can't ever get beyond that, right? Yeah, they might say, right, mm. I'm never going to give them, yeah. but the the trauma is so deep-seated that I, it, most people can't ever get past it. From everything that I can see, and I, I, I have to put it down to their faith, I really do, because I don't know how else you wouldn't just be falling in, he- in a heap. Mm. They went back. They were re- reunited with their, with their family. They were absolutely delighted. They, have, you know, remained uh, an incredible family. I probably need to go into the trial, actually, t- before I jump ahead to where are they now, because mm. the trial is also pivotal in giving us an idea of where Ming's head was at because 
he's not finished yet, people. Oh, he's not finished yet. No. Really? Oh. Okay. So the trial or trials, as it were, because there's two. So in 1980, whilst he's being held in jail and before we go to the first trial, Ming offers $50,000 to an inmate to kill Mary and Beth so they cannot testify against him. Fortunately, I know, right? He's so evil. Richard Green, the the inmate, fortunately, he communicates (laughs) this to the FBI. Mm. So the FBI are aware of that. I mean, and thank and he probably oh. says, and can I have some time what, off can my I sentence, off? Yeah. please? And he yeah. might well have got some. He might that's have okay. got a little bit of a kickback. That works, that's yeah. okay. Yeah. Yep. So that's Andrew happened before sentence. the first yep. trial's even, you know, gone to court. The first trial takes place in 1980 and it concerns the abduction of Mary and Elizabeth Stolfer and it, the rape, or rapes, plural, of Mary. Because Ming had taken them over state lines, the crime becomes a federal case under the Federal Kidnapping Act. He was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison. Now, because the federal government still had parole at the time, he technically became eligible for parole after 10 years and um, eligible for mandatory release after 30 years. Right. Under the old law, federal lifers, as they're known, had to be released after 30 years unless they were proven to be a danger to society. However, at this stage, the judge recommended that Ming serve that full 30 years. I've also read... From an attorney who was there, it was, it was sort of him talking about the cases. Here we go. Thomas Berg was his name. Thomas Berg, the former US attorney who prosecuted the kidnapping case, didn't have much contact with Ming, who did not testify at the federal trial. However, he did witness one of his violent outbursts. And this is the thing. This guy was even violent and acting up in court. I was questioning Mary Stay for the kidnapping victim. And he said, I could see something was going on behind me. He said, I turned and the defendant, Ming Feng Shui, I can't say his name. Feng Shui. Feng Shui. Ming Feng Shui. Oh, yeah. I want to say it. Had gotten out of his chair on the other side of the council table and was coming up, going for my witness. So I kind of instinctively grabbed him. Technically so that was, the opposite of Feng Shui. Oh, Feng Shui that was the first trial. Energy. So that's their trial. Maybe the court had bad feng shui and that is what set him (laughs) off. Ming's second trial was in 1981 or began in 1981. And here's this, how's this? During this trial, Ming smuggled a knife into the courtroom and when Mary Stafford testified, he jumped over the table and attacked her. Oh, no. Managing to cut her face. She has a scar from (gasps) her side of her mouth. No! You'd sue the county. Uh, uh, how did he get in with a knife? It how took... was she not giving her testimony wow. in a safe space? I mean, he's already tried to attack her That's in a previous yeah. trial. Correct. Yeah. This, it... I don't understand. 62 stitches. Wow. 62 stitches to close her facial wound. What? At the same time, Ming I'm promised to it. kill her and her daughter when he would be released from prison. He's a piece of work, isn't he? He is, mm. yeah. He's not... He's not oh. clever in the way that he's trying to conceal or manipulate. Or, it's just out there. He's so, the rage, the anger, this sort of evil, I'm going to kill you. It's there for all to see. Like it, it, there's no, 
smoke and mirrors. It's like, no, nah, it's there. It's there for you all. It's on the table. I'm not trying to hide it. I but I just it. don't get where he's coming from in the first place. Like you have a sexual obsession with her. and Is it just because sex and violence are all rolled up for him and therefore he has to be violent against her as well? You know what I mean? Like it's just weird. Or, it's Or if I can't stuff. have you, no yeah, one okay. can. Maybe. Perhaps. Psychological evaluations of defendants showed no is signs <laughs> of mental illness. <laughs> what? What? It's funny. It's Did not see you that. Surely that is, that, is that the no. absolute definition of mental illness, or is it that going? Mm. No, that won't be the excuse. You are actually a. Psychopath. You're standing yeah. a trial, it, and we it's, are. It's dividing the two and being very clear that this is not you going. Oh, hang on a tick. I I had a moment where I I seem to lapse. I had a disassociative you know, fugue for fifty three days. But all, yep. Yes. But also, it's nineteen eighty one, and mental illness wasn't really a thing. Very good point. Looking at it through the lens of that time, you're very right. When the second trial, so this was the trial for the murder of little Jason, Welcome, I think is his surname, yes? He was sentenced to 40 years for the murder charge to be served concurrently with his previous 30-year sentence. Shits me the concurrent. No, incorrect. He avoided a first-degree murder charge by agreeing to divulge the location of Wilkman's body. So he's got second-degree murder. Mm -hmm. And still got 40 years. And serving years. it concurrently, though, that's good to me. Is this a... Yeah, I'm not a fan this of that. Point, is, this the, is this a federal or a state case? Uh, that will be the state that's one, the, the state, state one, one, the local one, yeah. We have to appeal that. I must say, though, 40 years for second-degree murder is a lot. Ming became eligible for mandatory release on July 6, 2010, but you'll be happy to know he was denied. Hang on. Well, 30 what? years from 1980, yeah. yeah. It's not, no, but hang on. So, what I was going to say is who cares about the 30 years because he's got 40 years? But also, if it's mandatory, how can you get denied? You could. I said before, if you're a danger to society. If you're still considered a dangerous society, you can be yeah. kept in, yeah. No, but you said he was eligible for mandatory release, whereas before that, if you're a dangerous to, to society, I think that was the old You could yeah. get off. I don't know. It is very confusing. I don't. I think it's. I'm calling out incorrect use of the word mandatory. I think that came up before. I think that probably you probably right there. I so think the means. mandatory parole is you get the op, It's mandatory that you get an option to go to parole, but it can be denied if you're still considered to be a danger. Okay. But I, I think it was mandatory release, not mandatory okay. parole. Uh, that would make more sense. Anyway, that would chat. make more sense actually. The way you say it. On September 28, 2010, the Anoka County District Judge. Judge Jenny Walker Jasper, I like that, ruled that Ming wow. could be detained indefinitely as a dangerous sexual predator, even if he is granted parole. He was also found to have a sexual psychopathic personality. That comes as a big shock to yes. all of us. Mm. Ming, who had never sought sex offender treatment in prison, that's interesting. I didn't realise the onus would be on the person I thought it would be offered, but anyway apologised and begged for Mary's forgiveness during the hearing, saying she had every right to hate him. Beth hoped that Ming's apology was genuine but thought he was too dangerous to ever be freed. Good on you, Beth. appealed the ruling that declared him a sexual predator but he was declined. As of 2016, the United States Parole Commission has repeatedly denied Ming's request for release. Ming is now... 72 years old. So his federal conviction for kidnapping, second degree murder, kidnapping in Minnesota, criminal penalty, federal life imprisonment, Minnesota 40 years imprisonment, 
And yes, he's currently imprisoned in Rochester. Before we go to trial and before we pull apart the story, I wanted to let you know a little bit about where Mary's at, and Mary and yeah. Elizabeth actually are at now. And there's a whole heap of stuff you could actually see online. They've been interviewed a number of times. And they are, they just seem like really nice people, very genuine, very much about their family. I think the daughter is a grandmother herself now. And they've just decided to get on with life. In an interview with Lifetime, Mary Stoffer says it was important for her to share her story. And there were times where she questioned her faith. We pray for Ming, she says. We hated what he did, but we didn't hate him. Mary says after her her ordeal, which she says doesn't define her, I'm like, my goodness, it would take a very special, a very strong person to be able to find goodness after that. She and her husband were able to finish their missionary careers and retire. So I think they ended up traveling again. I think they actually went back to the Philippines. They have been very happy to see their children get married and have children of their own. He didn't get to ruin our lives, said Beth Dorfer. He ruined his life. Hmm. Wow. It takes a very very special kind of person, people, family to be able to handle that. And I think... Sometimes when we look at these stories, people have come from troubled backgrounds and they've ended up in situations because their own lives have been pretty rough and they end up in situations where their their safety is compromised or, you know, they've been exposed to things that they shouldn't necessarily have happened to them. But with the Storfers, I think, you know, they were just people trying to help other people. You know. Pretty ordinary. I mean, she was just a they were pretty teacher. Ordinary. Yeah, he was, she was just an educator, educator as well. You know, like... well. you know, they didn't have anything that was special. They, they weren't interested in certain things, but they were just a tight-knit family unit. And I think after the trauma of what happened, they, they had something to go back to yep. that was real and stable and I think because of that they were very fortunate most people would have you would you wouldn't have been surprised to hear that they had ended up as you know drug addicts or had done something all for themselves or had just couldn't cope with what had happened to them but their coping mechanisms seem to be right up there because they um, have gone on to live rich lives in terms of their contribution to community and others and their own family so That was, I guess, a very long-winded way of where I started saying there was something about this story that I thought, oh, that's really nice to see that people have ended up, you know, starting out as victims but actually not allowing it to define them and not allowing it to destroy their lives. It's um, it's quite uplifting in that respect. Hmm. Absolutely terrible for Jason Willem's family, Wilkham's family. Poor thing. Just tragic. Little boy. I mean, that is really, really beyond the pale, isn't it? Just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Wrong place, wrong time. All right. So we can go to trial. Well, uh, look, I'll start with when I was editing the, I think it was the lottery murder and we were talking about Do Rice and we got to sentencing and you're like, I hate her. I feel like that about Ming the Merciless here. I really, really, really dislike him. There's nothing about him that redeems him for me. So There are no features that redeem him. I agree with that. He's just a monster. And there were parts of the story that the idea of being locked up in a cupboard or a box and just confined like that and not knowing what your fate's going to be is just horrendous. So I think he has to be locked in a box for sure. But I, I look up. The other part of my sentence comes about when you were talking about how he brought Beth out because Mary wouldn't be intimate or give him yeah, affection. Yeah, yeah, plastic yeah. bag. Oh, and, and all that horror, right? That was awful. So 
the context of my sentence is a story I heard recently, which hails from Scotland. And it is actually about an altercation between a man and a woman in the street. And in, according to the sun.co.uk, the headline reads, Seagull ate man's tongue off pavement after it was bitten off by female yob during gruesome row. Oh, my God. Oh, oh my God. No. <laughs> you should have yeah. saved that for oh, you. Hey, no. what? <laughs> So when you were talking about her having to kiss him on the mouth, it was just repulsed me so much. And it reminded me of this story of this woman whose name is Bethany Ryan, how she uh, had an altercation with a man. The man was a bit aggressive and... Her own, a bit aggressive. Well, he did something, Unlike but the her. actual barrister, well, yeah, the, her barrister described her response as being a little bit out of the ordinary, where apparently she pushed him against the body and then kissed him on the mouth, and somehow in that she was able to bite off a section of his tongue. Oh. And he spits it out, and a seagull, and I don't know if you remember, but UK seagulls are like, Albatrosses. Um, the biggest, they're massive <laughs> albatrosses, yeah. yeah. And this seagull swoops down and takes it. So I think Bethany Ryan needs to visit our mate Ming on a regular basis and give him, because this was in Edinburgh, not Glasgow, so unlike a Glasgow kiss, kiss yeah. which is a, headbutt. Um, you know, a smack in, headbutt in the forehead, she's going to give him an Edinburgh kiss, her style, and she's going to bite off a section of his tongue to make him appreciate that if a woman doesn't want to, then you shouldn't push the, you know, you shouldn't push it. And making a person who you are violating and you are brutalising show you affection, fake or otherwise, is just so disgusting that I just think he can have his tongue and all other parts of him cut off too slightly while she's there. I'm sure she's got a switchblade. I'll give her one if she hasn't. You'll lend her one. Nice work. I will. Is there going to be a seagull there as well? Maybe the seagull should oh, yeah. peck his pecker off at the same time. Absolutely. Mm. Multiple seagulls because they are quite frightening. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I also when saw they're a, big there. Yeah, yeah. I also saw a footage of a seagull eating a pigeon in the street. So, yeah, we'll, we'll set. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. I think I've seen that. Yeah. Per- I think That's I've seen. So... I have seen that. Mm. I don't know who I'd so want I think to win the battle of a involved. seagull and a pigeon. Because they're both annoying. <laughs> and they're both flying rats. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, Clarky, what have you got? I mean, there's a lot to sort of digest and I think clearly the way that Mary was treated is disgusting. I don't know why he needed to have Beth along for the ride. You know, I, I, um, yeah. I think that's pretty repulsive and also very unnecessary. And, and I think what happened to Jason, I mean, really? That was, that was your way of... Of managing that situation, I, you know that I, I can't get my head around what what it would take to do that. The thing I want to discuss, I guess, is the use of the word obsessed because I've, I've been googling it. We had a little break, everyone, and during that time, I've just been googling it to just kind of go. Obsessed is a word that gets used for a lot of people to just not to justify, but it, it kind of labels their bad behavior as a precursor to their bad behavior. And I think plenty of people get obsessed and don't do any of that. And I think of the Ice House song, My Obsession, and, you know, that's more about love than anything else. And I, I just feel like we need another word to describe people in this situation that isn't something that you can get confused with love. And I don't know what it is, but Obsession has, to me, has nothing to do with the behaviour that he exhibited. He is an absolute and and I think I've heard that you know obsessed used in a number of different situations where people have ended up being raped or murdered or whatever. 
maybe it's like psychopathic predation because he picked her. Yeah, and he mm-hmm. and he he hunted her. Yeah, yeah. Sort her out. Yeah, ten years or something. Yeah, that, yeah. And, and I think you know, and I don't, I don't mean to use this in the context of this case so much as in the context of so often in the media Generally, with these sorts yeah. of things. I, I would like that. I mean, to... I'm a bit obsessed with naked and afraid. You don't see me going around killing. Oh, anyone. what's that one you like, Swanee? Yeah, intervention. Intervention. Yeah, yeah. Like you know that that's obsession, right? I, I, hmm. But it hasn't led to you. Abducting people, putting <laughs> them in cupboards, weird. and you yeah. know. But that's also the problem because it's not an obsession. It's just the way we use the word, isn't it? Exactly. It's so easy. It's a we're passing like, you know, we're, oh my god, I'm obsessed. Oh my god. I've watched a few of obsessed. these. Yeah. 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 We say it's just a word of the time. But I also think it's. Mm-hmm. I'm just well, to sorry. No, go. No, it's just it's just one of those things that comes into is it common parlance where we yeah. just we use it because it's everybody is using it so it's been totally watered down in terms of what it means the true term the true what the word really means it's like I'm not obsessed with interventions I I, I like it a lot and I probably watch it a little bit too much and then that's it but it's it, <laughs> of it, it kind of means you, no, ca- you can't no. get someone out of your mind so we need something that describes somebody who acts in such a horrid way it's just to me completely the wrong word to use for these sorts of situations so maybe the sentence is we beat him with a thesaurus until we come well, up with no, no, because, I, because i don't think he's the one who needs beating for the use of the word obsessed i think maybe that that sits with the media to you know Okay. Have to have to explore that a little bit more. Anyway, no. So my upset, my obsession. God, here I go. My sentence for Ming is based on the Ming Dynasty out of China, and mm. so there used to be some pretty horrible punishments that happened to the concubines, and and I won't go into the whole lot of it. But basically, what I want is for Ming when he's in jail to share the jail with Baba who I don't know if you've heard about Bubba before, but you know, Bubba is kind of this big bloke in jail who is bald and he's the one who's going to rape you if anyone's going to rape you in jail. But also <laughs> Ming is going to be hobbled so he can't get away because that's what happened in the Ming dynasty. They hobbled the concubine so they literally had to get carried into the room to then have yeah. sex with people. Oh, my God. I, know. I didn't Gross. know that. And, and can I ask what does cobbled mean where your legs no, just no, don't work or your feet hobbled. I said I, I said hobbled, didn't I? You, you did say hobbled. Yeah, hobbled. I was being yeah, determined yeah. Well, it's not It's like feet to, binding. But we had like the foot Remember we had this before where that. people were getting hobbled on the cobblestones and we, then we were calling it cobbled. Corn cobbling. Isn't what that said. <laughs> She's just smashed his ankles with the hammer. Yeah. yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. 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 So and his prison cell is going to be a 21 inch by two foot wide cupboard so there's only room for one person in it not two how's Bubba gonna rape him he's gonna get carried to Bubba because oh because he's hobbled yeah yeah it's time (laughs) (laughs) and and maybe he'll be forced to um show Bubba some affection whilst he's doing it as well that's my sentence for Ming okay fair enough Swanee I feel like Ming softens his name in some ways. I don't know what that is, but it because makes um, him sound silly almost. Yeah, because I my kids used to watch her. I used to call one of them one of the twins Ming Ming, and it was based on a, a character out of The Wonder Pets. It's come back to me, Ming Ming. 
and it was a it was a little cute little, little fluffy anime duck. type yeah, thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, uh, so I'm I'm sorry that I had to call him by his first name, but anyway. Okay. Um, in terms of oh, people, sorry. I struggle with this one. Before you yeah, do Shane? it, so um, Ming yeah. is the Mandarin word for brilliant, by the way. Oh, there you are. In, inaptly named. Mm. Yeah. I was just having a little giggle to myself because you had um, interjected there. It gave me a moment to realise that I think that I say this for every single sentence. I go, I really struggled with this. I honestly think if there's a listener that says, they'd be like, no, shit, Carla, you struggle with all No, but that's when we brace ourselves because we know something bad coming. No, not at all. No, no, it's not. That's the problem. It's not particularly, you know, insightful. And the problem is me because most people I can, I look for something that is a weakness in them or something that I, I think shows who they truly are and then what would truly upset them. Whereas with this character, it feels as though a lot of those things are missing, right? That's you go back to what his mother said and when he's done stuff as a child and whatever else. He he seems to be Is it the psychopath like, kind of Yes, he's devoid more, of emotion. I, I can associate him more with like an animal. And then I think that's unfair to animals. What was the dog reference <laughs> so I, at the start? Yeah, the dog, dog feelings, feelings of a dog. Feelings of a dog. Yeah, yeah right. But I find that Yeah, I find not, that not apt. In Congress with the way I feel about my dog feels for me. So uh, I can't work to that. But where I'm, the sort of the territories in which I'm sort of looking at, and you guys always seem to be able to finesse me into a, <laughs> into a punishment, that's where I struggle. But this idea of stalking someone, the idea of hunting someone being, you know, when you're the victim, that's a, a feeling that must be just terrifying. So I thought for someone who's so violent, I would like to see the tables turn and he be the man that he is put into an animal's body and then be stalked and hunted over a period of time where the animal who is pursuing him sort of plays with him and toys with him so he's you know he's hurt a little bit and then they back off and then they come in again you know like because that's kind of what he's done she didn't know it thank god that he'd been after her for that long but it was such a long campaign of stalking or hunting or whatever you want like I'm, I'm just delighted that Mary wasn't aware of it really because if she had have known for those all those years it, that's what you was would going have been terrified on terrified going out yeah you know it, it, that would affect every part of your life now we don't have the same person in him you know he's I, I don't know how his brain works because it seems that he's just a bit of a he's quite evil but that was the only sort of territories perhaps you guys can help me sort of come into make a little bit more what what we could do but I, I want him to feel as though he he's helpless because he is animal, but he feels the human. Do you know what Are I mean? Are you thinking mm-hmm. of the like the cat that plays with the mouse, or yes. are you thinking the zebra on the savannah plains that literally has to look everywhere all the time in case the lion is coming? The la- the latter. But there needs to be some interaction at some point before that. I don't want him to have just one big kill. I want him to have to suffer both physically. Like, you know how he's raped her repeatedly? Mm. It'd be nice to see that there were points along the the timeline where there were violent episodes for him, shall we say. But then just on the edge of, you know, it being all over, he was allowed to escape again and then come back again so that he feels this idea of like you know because it, it was not a one-off event for him it's such a prolonged campaign of what what abuse. about the little kid who gets swallowed by the anaconda <laughs> but doesn't die and then wakes up the next day worried that the anaconda so has full memory of what's just happened 
wakes up the next day worried. Inside the anaconda? Yeah, because they, they swallowed them whole and then they they normally yeah. die in the anaconda. But before he dies. I know that. It was on the news this morning. They found a grandma in Indonesia. Nana had been missing for a little while and they found one that had a had a chunky bit in his midsection. Yeah, this man. And he, and he hadn't just put on a bit of weight. Nana was in the Why middle. Why do I oh. think that's funny? Uh, that like was on just, the news this morning. Oh, that could have been one of our ridiculous and ones as well. I I feel like we've given two of our ridiculous ones. Oh, no, goodness. Mm. Um, yeah, but. Seagull tongue is the worst. Oh. Oh, but so he could get swallowed whole by the anaconda, then spend like, you know, 10 hours in the belly thinking I'm going to die, I'm going to die, and then yeah. then wake up again and then have to go, oh, my God, I know the anaconda's here somewhere and see how. So he's out. He wakes up he's out, out, out again. Yeah, yeah, correct. Sorry, yes. Again, yeah. And then he lives in fear of it happening. And, of course, it always happens. But he never dies, yes. and so you know that that whole thing of prolonged torture. Well, you know, we could also just go back to one of Clarkies and put him in a helicopter and dangle him over, dangle him over a shark-infested waters that's got yes. some nice. What is it called? Burley or Took something? some blood in. Oh. You just slash yeah. him up a bit. Oh. Yeah. What do you call that? Yeah, burley. You know, like little chopped up stuff. Yeah. Burley, yeah. yeah. And then Yuck. toss him in, and yeah. you will leave him at that. Leave him to the sharks. Yeah. Yes. All right. Well, Swanee. That was an unexpected case. It was. Not that we ever know what you're going to bring us, but you always bring us something, you know, dark, macabre. And, and particularly well joyous, you're right. It wasn't. It wasn't. It certainly wasn't one of our funnier ones. Never mind. <laughs> oh, that's all right. You know, that's the that's the genre, I think. Maybe he needs and, leeches yeah, on his for... penis. <laughs> that's not about it. I just found it nice that the, the victims... Well, Mary and Elizabeth, not obviously dear Jason, but yeah. but there was something positive there, mm-hmm. and that they could tell us what had happened. There's so many times where we're Don't surmising yeah. exactly, and this was like you know being able to say, well, what about this and what about that? I thought, well, you know, that was I just found it a little bit different. Yep, no, very good. All right, well, as we say every week, miss you already. Ciao. Bye. Ciao. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Trial by Wine. You can contact us at trialbywine at gmail.com. Please rate, review and subscribe to Trial by Wine on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to support us, you can become a patron at www.patreon.com, Trial by Wine. Or visit our website, www.trialbywine.com to donate to us. Your support will help us cover many more cases and apply wacky sentences. We really appreciate you listening and hope you tell everyone about us. Our cover art is by John Christo and music is by Beauchamp from pixabay.com.